Telling on Ourselves is not affiliated with, nor do we represent the opinions or views of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're simply sharing our experience, strength, and hope to help you get through another day. Hi, everybody. This is a very special episode. Yes, it is. It is episode 4040. What? Can you believe it? Yeah, Brie, we're we're, um, midway through... Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lynn. That yeah, was a, yeah, Brie. That was a Vickyism. <laughs> um, we, By the way, I'm Lynn. I'm Vicky, and I'm Brie, and, and we, we are telling on ourselves. Telling, telling, telling on ourselves. Telling, telling, telling on ourselves. Telling on ourselves. Telling on ourselves. Telling, 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 telling on ourselves. Giddy on. Giddy on. Not up. But on, because on. we are about <laughs> relentless forward motion. On it. Relentless. Yeah, yeah baby. So so um, we have a first thought wrong. We do. And it's not me this week. It's what? not me either. So basically, I have a first thought she wrong. Got not yes, short we straw. you do. Yeah, I had bad thoughts. We actually, I was going to say, we almost had to have a little uh, straw drawing contest because we all had a pl- plentitude of the... A first, FT, yeah. FT dubs. Yeah, FT dubs. But I win because I haven't I haven't had an FTW, or at least I haven't shared mine in a while. So, and I have plenty of them from the retreat. <laughs> Yippee skippy. This weekend. Nothing like being crammed in a building with 50 ladies for three days. <laughs> it was 35, I believe. Okay. Something's going to make you crack eventually. (laughs) And I had that moment on Saturday during a meditation. And it was, I mean, it was so great. Uh, We got a little break in the middle of the afternoon to do whatever we wanted. And I was so excited because I just wanted to relax. And then I found out there was going to be a guided meditation. And oh, I was so excited about that. Because it was our favorite person. And she's so magical. She has such a talent. I'm sorry I'm breaking in, but I just need to say that. She changed my world. And I didn't even understand um, the levels that you can go to with meditation until she true. I, I was part of her true and, yeah, and that's why I didn't want to miss it. And I was so excited, so I hurried up and did all my dishes, cleaning so fast, as fast as my little hands and like little legs could go, <laughs> like a little squirrel. And people were trying. Well, there were a couple people who would like come in and like try to like help, but then I'd be like, "You need to dump that in the garbage. You can't put all those beans in my drain because we had chili." Anyways, so. Cleaning the dishes as fast as I can. I, I I get into the the meditation room and oh it's so great. And I sit down and I get comfy and I zen out and she starts the meditation and it's awesome. And it was really beautiful. The picture she was painting and some of the things she was saying, like a part of it was like, you know, spray painting walls, different colors, the the, the wall of our mind. Mm. It was really awesome. About 20 minutes in, someone starts to snore. And I'm a little irritated because I was just getting like into the deeper level of my meditation. And then all of a sudden the snoring started and I couldn't get there. I mean, there were so many thoughts, first thought wrongs going on. Like one, if you were that tired, you know, you probably should have gone to sleep, gone just upstairs and taken a nap. And two, why isn't anyone else around her giving her an elbow, just like politely nudging her and letting her know like, Hey, you might be a little tired. Why don't you head upstairs? Cause I'm on the other side of the room. So I can't, if I was next to her, I would have nudged her. I just want to let you guys know that she would have definitely, I would have 
come out of my trance and just been like, hey, excuse me. And mind you, I don't know who this was. So I'm I'm sharing this. Like, I don't know who it is. Um, so then finally I get into her, her snoring kind of becomes part of my meditation, right? Because the second thought, right, is this is what meditation is all about, is in chaos and in you know, situations that are uncomfortable, being able to push through and calm your mind and center your mind and, you know, let like those, let those agitating thoughts go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was my second thought, right? But I vacillated. But every time that I would get comfortable with that, she would either like roll over or move her head or something. The and rhythm then would change. The rhythm would change <laughs> and it would shake me up again. And I'd have to, then my thoughts would go back to, will someone just wake this chick up already and let her know that if she's tired, she's more than, more than welcome to head upstairs for a nap, <laughs> the appropriate place for snoring. But God bless her, whoever was, try- she was trying to like better herself and meditate. And I mean, I totally, I mean, if I wasn't sitting up, I would have fallen asleep too because my head was nodding forward a couple of times. I was either about to sleep or going into a deep, deep like trance. I don't know. Um, so I don't know who it was. And if whoever was snoring was, is listening to this, no big deal. It was my lesson to learn. And I, I did have that second thought, right. But my, my first thought was wrong for sure. But I think, I think that's when you're in, in that situation that you were in where it's, it's, continues happening i don't even know how to say this you're going to keep going back and forth and it's like those wagon wheel ruts it's like we learn that um what we're what we're experiencing is not healthy or it's not the right way to be i hate to use those words but it's not healthy so we jump into the new ruts and then something pulls us back in and and what you were doing was completely natural but you kept recognizing it and trying and working on it so that to me is huge growth and improvement well, and and here's the thing: the the leader of the the leader of the meditation um, that was supposed to be the leader of the pack. Um, vroom vroom. Yeah, I loved that song. Um, it was very depressing. Um, so she kept reminding us, though. She kept saying, "If you hear something, if something is disturbing you, just label it a thought and keep breathing and focus on your breath. And so she was. she's very helpful in those scenarios. And I think when that happens, she says it more. And I think she uses that as a great example of we're never going to have the perfect setting in our real lives, IRL, for meditation. you got to work around that shit. Well, and I don't know how anybody stays awake through meditation when they're laying down. I did. I, I can't. She always. Yeah, I will always fall does. asleep. I have to sit straight up. I have both feet flat, and I have my hands on the armchairs. That's what my that's my position that I assume. Yeah, I am too tense when I sit with my feet on the ground. I could sit Indian style and mm-hmm. like sit into it like that, but I can't. Um, but laying down is so much better for me. Well, and sometimes my back hurts during meditation, so I just let myself not have posture. I said I'm going to do whatever's comfortable because mm-hmm. if I have to think about my back hurting halfway through, then it's not going to be it's enjoyable. done, right. Yeah, you're done. Well, I so had instead a, of my back, it was the snoring. This time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing, it reminds me of that we're talking about this, talking about your back hurting. I had a boyfriend at one point in time that I dated, and he used to do this meditation, and they would do it for like 14 hours. They would do a retreat, but they would literally not talk, sit there for 14 hours straight. I remember. Like they him. would pee, but that's about it. Yeah. There was no, a, thank you. a place in Lexington right by the hippie hut where I worked, and he did these workshops once a month, and it was 12 hours, and you didn't talk all day. 
and basically meditate. Mindful. It was a mindfulness retreat. I mean, I could handle the not talking, but not just sitting in the same position all day. Mm-hmm. No, no. No, I would be crippled. <laughs> I don't know. Not I, to be dramatic. But I, I like aspire to that. I think I would put that on my bucket list. I think that is something that when I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let think me know of how, how it deep works you out. could get. Let me know. Well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, and I, I mean, right now, I'm just getting to the point where I can do 30 minutes. Like, I was at 18 minutes for a long time, mm-hmm. and now I'm at 30. I've upped it, and it's pretty good. Maybe that's my problem, is I already, I always start out at like an hour, oh, and yeah. then I end up asleep. Because yeah. I I have to lay down. If I'm like, okay, if I'm going to meditate for an hour and my back's going to hurt, so I have to lay down. And then I'm asleep within five minutes. Five minutes max. Anyways. Yes. It's still, it's all good. Even five minutes is good. Yep. It's it's quieting your mind. Exactly. And like I was saying before about you, your first thought wrong, but your second thought right, and you kept going back and forth. That's still progress. Right. Just like five minutes is progress to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And we've just talked for 10 minutes about meditation. Well, that's a good thing to talk about. <laughs> we, did, we did do two, <laughs> two workshops on the subject, so we right. should be able to do it. We but know a little bit about it. Just so Lynn's going to... Yeah, scooch. Scooch. Scoosh. Scoosh. <laughs> Ice cream scotial. I'm sorry. Um, today's <laughs> podcast topic is about principle one, which goes with step one, which is honesty and surrender. And we have covered both of these topics. But this we are really going to kind of talk about more of how it relates to the step. And the step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And we're going to talk about how honesty and surrender kind of looped into each one of our own lives and how that has changed. It has changed. And when she's talking about the steps, it's the steps of the program that we use um, to maintain, to get sober and to maintain our sobriety. And everybody has a different approach, but the bottom line for a better life is... we. It, well, anybody this is what we benefit. do. Yeah, exactly. All three of us do these yeah. steps, but we, I, I think any way you can stay uh, sober Absolutely. And, and recovery and free is is good. Well, what There's I was going to no say, it's not just about recovery. It's just benefiting by having a healthier, happier life with growth. Honesty is probably going to be a pretty important part yeah, of that. Yeah, when yeah. we're not honest, yeah. we can be asses. Yes. At least I can. Yeah. There's a whole lot of ugly, but... I digress. So I will talk about honesty. We have Definition Corner. We do have DC. the Definition Corner, DC. So having in mind, uh, thinking about in relation to what we're going to discuss today with how we use this to get real with ourselves, get right with God, and try to get sober, um, it was a little bit different definition than what I think I'd used previously because it's longer, so I'm sure it is. So honesty is a facet of moral character that brings about positive and virtuous attributes such as integrity, truthfulness, straightforwardness of conduct along with the absence of lying, cheating, theft, etc. Ooh, that's quite the definition. It's good though, isn't it? It is good. Yeah, I like I like the virtuous uh, attributes of integrity, truthfulness, and straightforwardness. And the straightforwardness really jumped out at me. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, because I don't think of honesty and being straightforward. Right. Uh, even though it is. Usually I think of biting my tongue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like they don't need to hear the truth. <laughs> that Jack Nicholson, you can't handle, handle the, the truth. truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's what I got. What about surrender? 
I didn't do surrender because honesty was so big and so much. Ah. I kind of figured we would just talk about surrender. So I'm not defining that if that's okay. And I did not share that with you ahead of time. I just thought I'd, you know. That's okay. Throw it Surprise us. Yeah. Hey. You can't know everything all the time. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so one of the things about honesty that Vicky, you talked about before we actually started recording was the disease of denial how our addiction or alcoholism is a disease of denial. And that really jumped out at me because honesty about our life being unmanageable, um, honesty about where we're really at instead of trying to hide our true feelings and our true inner emotional and mental states, um, that keeps you sick. It keeps you out there drinking, but more so it keeps you in recovery, not drinking, but also miserable. And so that's, I just like that, the disease of denial, because that is how my brain was literally talking to me. My disease, it was talking to me in denial and you don't see it while you're in it and you think you're smarter than it because you've had sobriety and you're not. And it's the craziest thing to be on the side of it. I don't know. I can't, I can't even describe it to someone who's never relapsed. It's I like relapsed a- because I got sober in 2001 for two months and I was in mad denial and I was just talking to somebody about this today and and I did not I did not know you even got a sponsor I didn't know anything about the steps I was not being honest with anyone I would only go to speaker meetings Um, I went to a couple of regular meetings but where I went to meetings they don't let newcomers talk so it was kind of good but I just I did not I did not connect the dots in any way shape or form Hmm. and then I was but I had that guy's voice. I, I always talk about this when I um, when I tell my story about this one dude that, and I know you've heard it at least at IOP where I was at a meeting and he said to me, you know, if you're here, Vicky, I don't know if you're an alcoholic or not, but if you're here, there's probably a reason. And I mean, I did try to find a, a bridge in Boston which led me to going to see a psychiatrist or a counselor which led me to proving to her that I wasn't an alcoholic by going to meetings for two months and, and saying, yeah, no, I can drink. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when I was trying to get sober, I wasn't really trying. I knew that I had a problem, but I wasn't ready to do anything about it. And denial was absolutely a part of it because I just kept thinking that I could, what was the words I used exactly, um, that I could beat it. So the disease of denial and what sends it into remission is pain. Well, sure. Yeah. Because pain is, and I keep hearing this over and over and I already knew it because before I relapsed, I started talking about how I think I just needed more pain because I could not get my thinking straight and I couldn't get the obsession to go away. So like here and there, I would mention to people, I don't know, sometimes I just think like I need more pain because, you know, I'm, I wasn't doing the work because I wasn't motivated to. And pain is super motivating. So that is my, um, is it colloquialism or whatever? I don't know, even know. It's but not it, colloquialism. Pain, pain or um, denial, denial is the disease and pain is the cure or the pain sends it into, re- into remission. Because it's not cured, but it's... But it can't, yeah, it can't keep you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. It, it is good. It sends you into remission, but the cure is honesty. Oh magic truth yeah maybe 
Um, I was told early on at a meeting when I was finally seriously taking everything seriously, <laughs> and um, this gentleman said that he every day was thankful that he was giving the gift of desperation, and that's what I, I was I was given that gift where I didn't have any other choices. And I know that was different than you, Brie. Yeah. Um, I really, I felt like I was at the end of the road and the, the crossroads was live or die. Yeah, I didn't have that. I was still having fun. I had just had the DUI, you know, so that was motivating. It was painful and like it was embarrassing, but I wasn't at an emotional bottom. I wasn't feeling great and I was having depression and paranoid about a lot of things and always concerned about what others were thinking about me. And I had, I mean, I was definitely mentally sick, but I was still having I was still having fun. So your brain was still trying to find an angle. Well, and a lot of people, I mean, when I first told people I was going to stop drinking and be sober, like all of my friends were like, whoa, I think you are overreacting a little bit. So like nobody in my life thought I was an alcoholic except for my parents. So, so yeah, I don't think I really had that gift of desperate. I had a, what would you call, I was desperate at the time Mm -hmm. and I just kind of lost that, the the pain of that. Well, right, when you get into more of a stable life Mm -hmm. and you're doing things, everyday things, then you think, oh, well, maybe I could handle it because you're around a lot of other normal people and they're handling it. And then you hear those voices from your friends in the beginning going, you're not an alcoholic and and your brain will totally latch onto that. There's so many good things our brains can latch onto, but they'll grab that one bad thing and say, maybe, maybe you can make it work this time. I don't know. Like us, you know, I kept thinking I can beat it. What's the big deal? I've found, I haven't found the way yet, but there is a way I can beat it. There's no way. There's no way. That that I found besides this. Yeah. I did research. I did research. Yes. It's so hard to uh, watch another person do what you did and not be able to help them. Like, this is one step that you have to do alone. Mm -hmm. You cannot, no one can do it for you. You have to make that decision. You have to be honest. Like it it says it in how it works, which is something that we talk about all the time. And it says those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's an inside job and it's an inside decision. You have people that can help you the we is there but the actual decision of this honesty really getting honest with yourself is way more important than being honest with a bunch of people in a room about what you are or what you aren't um the cliche before i knew really knew anything about the program other than the name of it i didn't know anything but the cliche that i've heard from as long as i can remember is the first step is admitting you have a problem and and just like any cliche you hear it so much you don't give it the gravity that those words when they when you actually think about what they mean to me admitting that i have a problem and that's what it all that's that's that first step that you that is an inside job until you admit i wasn't ready to admit it i kept thinking i could find a way to beat it there's got to be a way around and maybe one of the reasons i didn't do the definition on surrender is because Surrender was my path to honesty. I could never be honest until I finally said, I give. It's, it's a, it's a life-changing moment. Mm-hmm. It's a life-changing moment, and if we don't keep remembering, which is why we have to keep remembering and keep 
for me why I keep going, why I keep showing up, why I keep people in my lives to show me, okay, well, this is why I need to be honest still. Because what happens is for me, when I start not being honest and I start hiding something, I see old behaviors picking picking up speed. And I know that if I let them do that, I will smoke or drink again. Mm -hmm. It will take time, but it will happen again if I let them take over my life. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I had a random thought about surrender. There was like a quote about surrender. Once surrender is not, surrender is not giving up. It's just switching to the winning, to the winning team. Yeah. Ah, there it is. Yeah. You switch to the winning team. Cause I, I had such a, it was probably one time when we talked about the last time, cause I really had an issue with surrender. Cause that means losing in my brain. And then someone told me at a meeting, no, think of it as switching to the winning team. Well, and it's so hard to make that decision because it's your best. For me, it was my best buddy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was there for me. It was always there. 100%. So, but I didn't, you know, it's interesting, Lynn, that you're talking about like you thought you could beat it, you thought you could beat it. I didn't have that thought that I could, like, I didn't think I had anything to beat. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? So I didn't really think I was a total alcoholic. Okay. You know, I I knew that I had a problem and I was depressed and I saw someone else in my life get sober and it worked for them and I saw all these changes and I knew I was depressed and I knew my drinking was out of control, but I really didn't think like, oh, but I can control my drinking. It was more so like... um, I've heard someone say this, like they wanted to learn how to drink the right way or they wanted to learn how to behave so that they could drink the right way mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know what I was thinking, but I never, I don't remember feeling like, okay, well, maybe I can control drinking. The only thing I can even remotely think about is like when I would go to the bar and I'd be like, okay, I'm not having shots tonight. And then I'd end up having shots. I would I would try to control it when I was drinking so right. it wouldn't get yeah. so bad. But never, I was never that, um, conscious of of letting go or surrendering during that time. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And you know, that's that's the beauty of this program is that we all come at, at it from so many different angles, and we all have our own special crazy. You know, we're all <laughs> fucked up in our heads. <laughs> we all have our own special variety. But the bottom line is, no matter what you bring to the table, there's one solution. Well, okay, so I think one of the problems and what you were just talking about, right? One of the, not problems, but one of the struggles of the alcoholic that doesn't have a really, really low bottom, that doesn't have all this pain, is exactly what you went through. We have, we call them high bottom. Mm-hmm. And we have the gift, I feel like I had a high bottom, right? I mean, yes, I was suicidal at times, but... I really still had a job. I still had I still had a life, right? I wasn't we didn't I didn't get so far down the scale where it was really desperate. It was just mentally and physically and I mean it just felt I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But I think these high bottom cases like when we have high bottoms when it isn't when what? Yeah, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. You're but, incomprehensibly demoralized mm-hmm. when you're not incomprehensible. Yeah. 
and and what I, what I was going to say, the difference between a high bottom and like with me, it was not being able to hold a job because of my drinking. So that affected my livelihood because I didn't have anyone else in my life to support me. Mm-hmm. So I really was, you know, at that point where it's if I don't find a way to fix this, um, I'm I I was going to be you destitute. You saw the light at the end. Yeah. The, well, the, not the light. You saw the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> I did. And, and like I, it was that fork in the road. That's my what I always think of my visual. And the difference for people that don't have that kind of crisis is that you're just tired of feeling the way you're feeling. And in as bad as or scary as changing might be, it can't be any worse than what you're living daily. Right. And that's more of like a mental desperation. Well, yeah, and and the whole piece of being honest about it, I think it takes a lot of courage when you first come in to say, I don't know if I am or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that is your first step into figuring it out. Just listen, see if there's anything that, that reminds you. But in terms of just life and being honest and living these principles, for me, it, it goes into so many different areas of life. It's not just about that anymore. Right. right. Well, and I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind looking up the unmanageability um, part that you read. She has this great um, kind of in-depth book about um, living the principles. And in this first step, we talk about admitting that we had a problem, that our lives had become unmanageable. And I could easily say, of course, my life was unmanageable. I couldn't hold a job anymore because I needed to drink in the morning and the afternoon at night. But I didn't really pick, I never have picked apart what exactly is unmanageable. And this described it so well for me, and it was really hitting home with me. Yeah, I mean, it says the second part of the first step has to do with admitting that our lives had become unmanageable. Most alcoholics and addicts also deny the unmanageability of their lives. This disease binds us to the way we live, how we manage our finances, our family life, our jobs, or our relationships. Many of us don't pay our bills, fail to show up for school or work, make excuses or alibis for our behavior, cheat on our spouses, neglect our children, or any other form of negative behavior. So, I mean... Yeah, I'd never thought of it in all those terms because every single thing was, you know, when we come to the program, most people, their credit is shit. Their relationships, whether it's a spouse or family or friends, those relationships have gone down the tubes. The job, even even if you want to think that you're doing a good job, you're not at, at your work job. You're not doing a good job if you're either hungover or just trying to get through whatever you need to so you can leave work and go drink. I mean, that's well, just Well, and how reality. many times was I hungover and I didn't show? Mm-hmm. I mean, I called in sick and lied. Right. But, I mean, there you go. Uh, lack of honesty. Mm-hmm. And all of those unmanageability things were a direct result of not being honest. But honesty... Okay, but when you get sober mm-hmm. and you start practicing honesty and you're kind of like turning stuff over and kind of, you know, you're putting it in hands of a higher power or whatever, um, you start to trust that, okay, you can be honest and the world's not going to end. And yeah, you might you might feel like you're getting a spanking, so to speak. You know, if I'm truly honest with somebody about, you know, hey, I actually didn't finish that report you wanted me to finish. Um, 
I had some other things come across my desk and I didn't prioritize it and I just don't have it for you today. I can do my best to have it for you by tomorrow. And that's like the truth, right? But we would want to lie and make up all this stuff about how it wasn't our our fault and this (laughs) happened and this happened and, uh, you know, maybe even blame the other person. Well, your email wasn't very clear. I mean, it all comes down to like, like when you talked about practicing it in your daily life and it's hard because it is scary. It is scary to be so truthful because then the other person is going to have a reaction to us and our honesty that we can't control. Well, and okay, so that that's I I was thinking about this before we started the episode, exactly what you're talking about. I was thinking about how much easier it is to be honest than I thought it was. I thought telling somebody Let's just use uh, go, not going to Christmas Day, for example. I, I decided to um, do some self-care. I thought telling that to somebody was going to cause a big, huge to-do and be like crazy. But it was so much easier just to be honest and say, listen, I just, I'm not up for it. I can't go. And nothing bad happened. Nothing bad happened. And, and I can remember when I first started doing this in my work, in my work is where I saw the difference. And yeah, it's it's that, oh yeah, I wrote that email. It w- I was a little frustrated, whatever. Or coming to the table with, yeah, I was, um, I, I definitely was late because, I, I, I don't know, just being, uh, mm-hmm. where before I would make up extravagant, awesome, cool stories that I would have to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a lot of work. And you got to remember who you told what yeah. to. <laughs> I hated that part. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it's like a lot easier. It is a lot mm-hmm. easier now just to be honest instead of, you know, like when we would talk about boundaries, that simple no, simply no, it's not going to work for me. It's so much easier. And people mm-hmm. usually don't get mad. Yeah. They don't They don't need a whole lot of um, extrapolation from no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, the, less is more. Yeah. and But when you were lying, it's like to make sure that this is really valid, I've got to give a whole lot of reason. I remember this girl I used to work with. She was late all the time for obvious reasons. She got rear-ended. She lost her... I mean, she would come up with like these crazy stories and we she'd get to work and like, what happened to your car? And she's like, oh, well, I hit the other guy and it was, you know, obvious, all these lies. And I'm like, is she going to remember that tomorrow when she told whomever to? And then I would find myself doing that same damn thing. You know, it's like making up these crazy stories to cover ourselves. We got so good at it, though. Yeah. So we thought. Okay. Well, I would um, like to share my golden nuggets um, of the thing. Is yes. When you said um, you can be honest... Bree, you said you can be honest and nothing is going to be wrong. No one, like, it's not going to hurt you. You're not going to get hurt when you're honest. It's usually okay. And the other part is the disease of denial and how much denial that I was in and that people are in and that I can still be in. Absolutely. And when you were talking about your correlation between disease, denial, disease, remission is pain and then the cure is honesty and the way to just always avoid denial is to always be honest and I just never had thought of it that way which I thought was so um it was one of those clear concise beautiful things and the other part uh, other thing that you said Brie that I really liked is when you're when you're just learning how to live this life that's 
full honesty all the time um, in your head, because our brain has always tried to hijack us, you tell yourself that being honest is difficult because we can't control the situation. And you kind of said that in passing and we didn't talk about it anymore. But for me, that was always a big issue because I had such issues with control. I had to control things. And the only way I could do that is if I changed the narration to what I needed it to be, and which was never honest, was never the real story, but it's what I needed it to be so I could control it. Right, manipulative mm-hmm. and all that fun jazz. Yeah. Right, and I said that in a meeting last week, I think, that I didn't I didn't tell the truth a lot because then I couldn't control what people would perceive. If I told the truth, then I couldn't control the judgments that might be happening, assuming right. that there were judgments. Um, mine, my golden nugget was the disease of denial from what you read, Vicky. So just, you know, I did not come up with that. Um, but yeah, that's how I feel. I have to look at my disease that way, and I have to look at, you know, drinking... Alcohol is poison. Drinking is toxic. Um, But that was my golden nugget is Mm -hmm. the disease of denial and staying in the truth by being around, like being in sobriety and being around people to remind you. That's why, you know, not to be too programmed, but more meetings, not less. Right. To remember that shit. Absolutely. But, you know, again, bringing it back to just the IRL of everybody, um, when we have anxiety, when we have fear, fear and fear and anxiety is usually trying to you're worrying about the future, which you have no control over. And it gives you anxiety because you can't control it. And then that's when you start trying to manipulate situations, change the narrative to fit what you think it needs to be. And all of that stuff, it gets so muddled up. It's like it's that tangled necklace that you don't even know where to begin untangling it. And the way you begin untangling it is by being honest. And I and I had just I'd never thought of it in those terms in that way until we kind of started down the road of the denial. And I think really that's what our this honesty thing for me, the big light bulb neon sign today has been is how much denial, what part that played in my life and how I could never live an honest life because of all the denial. And it's crazy you don't see it in the moment. That's why it's called denial. Well, right, because we can be so, our minds justify. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, I... We talked about making excuses to other people, but I would also do it with myself. Yeah. Which is even a whole nother thing. Yeah, it's a whole other level. Another layer. A layer in the crazy, because we all got our own crazy. Well, I'm glad that I got out of Mm -hmm. denial. Because that river is dirty. Yeah, Cleopatra, you know. It's dangerous. <laughs> There's crocodiles in there. There's cro- snakes and piranha, I what think, is it? Oh, too. Oh, the asp is the, the Or maybe I'm thinking Cleopatra the Amazon. Thing. I don't know, but I think a They're lot both. of rivers are. Yeah. <laughs> have piranhas? <laughs> Something. Okay. <laughs> have scary things. <laughs> I'm afraid of fish, so that to me is more motivating to stay out of denial than anything else. Well, when we go to Alaska, we're going to catch salmon. We are. With our hands. With our hands? No. Oh, I thought it was with our hands. No. <laughs> only, the, only the citizens. We should have let her. <laughs> we should have well, let she, her. She could get like a thousand dollar citation because only natives can use the net fishing they can only do it's called dip netting okay and you have to be a native to i thought you just tackle them because <laughs> they're all going upstream so it's real easy. do you know, how, going do you know how slimy they are no you can't grab that have shit. you never touched a fish yeah. Touch the fish. I think we're going to do some fishing before we go. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm down for some fishing. Okay. Me too. All right. Okay. I really do like fishing a lot. Will you put, I just won't put a worm on my hook. I was going to say, will you put a night crawler on your hook? Uh, 
I will, actually, nightcrawlers are better than little worms, yeah. and nightcrawlers are better than putting minnows on hooks. Oh gosh, yeah. So I will, but ooh, I don't like to kill things anymore. It's just not. I know. It's not in my nature anymore. So that's why the fishing would be hard too. Like as long as I release mine, well, we, we I'm don't good. have to use live bait. Okay. I would release mine too. I want to release mine. Oh, we definitely release, but not okay. the salmon. No, we're bringing that shit home. I am not <laughs> keeping the salmon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> your guys give it to me. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I'm gonna be like the one that's like free the elephants or what is it? Free there, the but here's free the, the lions. Here's the thing. We don't need to get into the life cycle of salmon. I'll explain <laughs> it to you later. <laughs> I'm ready to you all. I'm ready to convince. It's like no. It's, it's it's okay because, and I don't need to do that. <laughs> well, we love y'all. Um, please send us your first thought wrong. Please share. Your honesty. Yes. Your honesty. Your honesty. And if maybe your first thought wrong was where you wanted to lie. But you didn't. And then you didn't. Yeah. Or maybe you lied, but then admitted you lied. Yep. You that, owned up to it. That is that tell, would be a telling really on good ourselves. One. That's mm-hmm. what telling on ourselves is all about. Yeah. Because none of us are too proud to no. say that we're Ain't wrong too proud sometimes. to beg. Nope, nope, nope. say no. we're wrong sometimes. All right, uh, tribe out. Tribe out. Thank you so much for listening to Telling on Ourselves. You can please rate, review, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast platforms. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook or Instagram at Telling on Ourselves. 